Let's hear from God's word again as we read from Titus and chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, uh, just let me say what we're doing. Working our way through Titus, and um, last week we looked at older men and younger men, and uh, today we're looking at older women and younger women in the different relationships uh, in the church in Crete. This is God's word, Titus 2 and verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good, in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And we end our reading there at verse 8. We thank God for this, his holy and inspired word. Let's turn now to Titus chapter 2. And we're going to be studying verses 3 to 5. Father, we ask now that you will give clear direction to the preacher and listening ears to those who are here. And we pray, Lord, that we will indeed not just say we want to be a gospel-shaped church, but that we will want to be and we will seek to be. And to that end, today, teach us your truth and help us to receive your grace. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So when we come to Titus chapter 2, there's a change of focus. Paul is quite clear in his instruction. Chapter 1, verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. So chapter 1 is dominated with the idea of leadership. The qualities of eldership are spelt out in verses 6 to 9. And key, probably in my mind, is verse 9. He can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So in a sense, positively, leaders encourage others in sound and healthy doctrine. Negatively, leaders refute those who oppose sound and healthy doctrine. And sadly, there are many who are not into sound and healthy doctrine. Verses 10 to 16 spells that out. But the focus when we come to chapter 2 changes. We move from elders um, to members. We move from leaders to people. And the word sound 
is mentioned right at the beginning of uh, that chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. It's used actually five times in the book of Titus. It basically means healthy. So do we want to be a healthy church? Do we want to be a sound body of Christ? Well, we need sound, healthy leaders, and we need sound, healthy members if the answer is yes. Glorifying God is our primary purpose, but then showing sinners the power and joy of salvation so that God's elect are saved and the elect go on to maturity. That's our grand mission. And everyone is included. Every single member of the church is involved. Older men, verse 2. Older woman, verse 3. Younger woman, verses 4 and 5. And younger men, verses 6 to 8. Did I get that right? I hope I did. Well, you can overlook any mistakes that I, that I, that I made. Servants, citizens of the, of, of the community, verses 9 and 10, and right into chapter 3. So we're all involved in this gospel-shaped ministry that we're called to. Now, when I was a boy, all those years ago, there was a wee expression around, I don't know as, as an author um, created or not, aim high, soaring, aim low, boring. But between now, I suppose, after all these years, but it's an interesting idea. Aim high, soaring, aim low, boring. Aim high, and there's always that risk of disappointment because we don't get even near what we're supposed to hit that target. Aim low, well, you can hit that low target very easily because the target is low with low expectations and we can do it easily. But sometimes we feel a bit guilty that we actually didn't raise the target a bit higher. Aim high, aim low. What do we want to do as a church? Do we really want to aim high? Or are we content just to aim low? That's the question we must constantly ask ourselves. Now, aim high, aim low, most times doesn't really matter. Because most things have no eternal significance. You know, a diet, whether you aim high or low, does it really, really matter? Well, maybe in exceptional circumstances where there's a risk to life. Or a hobby, does it matter if you aim high or aim low when it comes to your golf or, or your table tennis or whatever it happens to be? But what about ministry? What about the ministry of the church? Do we aim high or do we aim low? Gospel-shaped ministry. Speaking truth into people's lives. Investing the gospel into people. Do we aim high or do we aim low? Here's what I think is a summary of um, Titus 2. We're to teach gospel-shaped truth to everyone, for gospel-shaped truth transforms us. Teach gospel-shaped truth to everyone, for gospel-shaped truth transforms us. See the importance of the T words there. Teach Truth, transform. Teach, truth, transform. Because that will affect our belief. It will also affect our behavior. So if you are a Christian today, I know many of you are, 
What you believe is very important. And how you behave is also very important because belief matters and behavior matters. For the sake of your soul and for the sake of our witness, we've got to believe properly and we've got to behave properly. And the reasons are actually stated very clearly in that chapter. There's three, three so that verses. Verse 5, verse 8, verse 10. So that no one will malign the word of God. That's why belief and behavior is so important. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So that in every way you will make the teaching about God or Savior attractive. With our gospel-shaped belief and with our gospel-shaped behavior, do you know what happens? We present the beauty of Jesus to people. We arouse curiosity in this thing we call the good news and we make the gospel attractive. Do we want a healthy church? Biblical, scriptural, Signed. Then all of us are involved. All of us need to be involved. All of us need to be transformed by the gospel. All of us need to be transformed by sound doctrine. All of us need to be transformed in our belief and in our behavior. Then we're healthy. Then we become a witness. Then we're used to make the gospel attractive to the people around us. So, do we aim high or do we aim low? So last week, we began by looking at the work of the preacher-teacher, verse 1, as Paul's instruction to Titus, then older men, verse 2, and younger men, verse 6 to 8. Now we go back to the little passage in between 2 and 6, verses 3, 4, and 5. Today we look at older woman, verse 3, and younger woman, verses four and five. And as I said earlier, I think all of us fit into uh, the category somewhere because even the youngest here will soon be either a young man or a young woman. And no better time to prepare for that than right now. But the teaching applies to all of us because all of us are seeking to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in this fallen world. So let's have ears that are open and listen. So you might be a man here, but you can learn something about what it means to be, for instance, an older woman or what younger women needs. We can learn together, can't we? So first of all, let's think of um, older woman, verse 3. Teach. This is Paul writing to Titus. Titus, teach the older men to be um, temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and endurance. Likewise, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. God is not silent on how we live in the church. God is not silent in how we act within our relationships. And Paul here is very clearly instructing Titus to teach, to teach, to teach. And now, verse 3, we think about what he's to teach the older woman in the congregation. So Paul teaches Titus, Titus teaches the older woman, and in this case, the older woman are to teach the younger woman. 
by life, by lip, and by example. So again, we aim high or we aim low. Notice there, verse 3 starts off likewise, stresses the close connection with what has gone before in verse 2. Yes, verse 2 applies to older men, but also to older women and everyone else because we're all the same, me, you, every single one of us. We can learn from verse 2 and we can learn from verse 3. But a lifetime of varied experiences in the university of life, um, living in the public square and all their interpersonal relationship should bring to older women understanding of God's sovereign ways and sympathy with and sympathy for people. And so older women do have this kind of unique role in the family unit and in the church community. Older women should have a wealth of wisdom to share and then there to share it. So you receive it and then you give it. So verse 3, Titus is to teach the older woman in four important areas. And here we have them. First of all, reverence. To be reverent in the way they live. It's a very graphic picture. Um, it's, it's a picture of a servant in God's temple. So older women are to, to live their lives within the family, within the community, within the church, almost as if they are a servant of God in the temple of God. See, reverent women know God. Um, they enter his presence continually and they serve and love Jesus until the day he calls or comes. And, and one of the best examples of that kind of person is Anna in Luke chapter 2. Sometimes we think about her around the Christmas period. We're told there that, does anybody know what age Anna was in, in Luke 2? 84 years young. 84 years young. She was seven years a widow at the time of Luke 2. And Luke records that she never left the temple because she was so committed to worship, fasting, and praying. And she had the great privilege, of course, of meeting the Redeemer, Jesus himself, as a little baby. Reverend. Older ladies, older women. That's what you're called to be, reverend. The King James Version translated it behavior as becometh holiness. So reverend women issue a glow of faithfulness and the fragrance of holiness. It's a beautiful, beautiful example, isn't it? One commentator said this, women of a generous spirit are life-giving women filled up and then giving out in ways that nourish themselves and give life to others because they know God Believe him and live a life filled, sorry, a faith filled life. And so I ask the question is this you? Godliness in a visible way. See, we gather to be taught to be so, to be reverent in the way they live. Secondly, the words that older women are to use, not to be slanderers. I think it's generally true 
that boys and men tend to fight with their fists and girls and women tend to fight with their words. I know some can cross over, you know, but that's, that's not the general stereotypical view. Both are wrong, by the way. Both are, are sinful, but it's easy to slaughter someone, isn't it, with slanderous words, to be um, critical all the time, to be aggressive in the way we talk, to cruel put-downs. It's true of us all. I'm quite able to do that. So it doesn't matter what age or sex you are, but the Word of God here cautions older women to be extremely careful with the way they use words. And nowadays, not just what they speak, it's what they type. Not to be slanderers. Do you know one of the names given to Satan? The slanderer. There's not one of us. I don't think there's one of us here this morning wants to be like him, do we? You see, when we slander people with our tongues, it's really a lazy, sinful act of self-indulgence. And it seems to me that there are some who are addicted, absolutely addicted to harsh, cruel, critical talking. Everywhere they go, they take it with them. And people avoid them. It should not be so. It's not befitting the child of God. And if this is your particular issue, then you need to go to Jesus and ask for his powerful spirit to change you. Behavior, not addicted to much wine. Common problem, of course, in the ancient world, older women and addictions, or so we're told. And the idea was they, they drank to um, deaden the pain of an empty life, to dull a bored mind, to, to fill up empty time. Now, our context may be slightly different, but the principle is still applies. Um, we have addictive behavior as a common problem. Addictive attitudes to image, for instance. A, an addictive attitude to fashion. A perfect house. Beautiful body. The success of children or grandchildren. These can be addictive attitudes. And instead of such self-indulgent living, the word, the gospel calls us to live a rich focused life for and in Jesus, for and in Jesus, self-control, discipline, contentment. That's what Titus is instructed to teach because we need to hear it. And then teaching, (laughs) but to teach what is good. This means to train, to be an example, to come alongside and share. Side by side is the image. And so these older ladies are supposed to avoid and resist temptation, whether it be liquid lunches or critical gossip, they are to be aware of the special teaching opportunities that that God will give to them because of their age and because of their experiences. The word good there 
um, it means excellent or of superior benefits. We're talking about solid biblical truths. Older women are to possess and then to pass on what is beautiful and beneficial because of their experience of walking with God and His Word for a long, long, long time. Older women, God calls you to be like this. And can I say as a church, we need you to be like this. We need you to be like this. Please don't think about retiring from God's work because younger women and their families need your love and your wisdom and your example. Can I suggest to those of you who are older, and I, by the way, I think, um, Jeff dealt with that last week. What is an older woman? Back then, it was regards like around 60s and up over. So it can be younger, can be obviously older. It depends how you view age and view where you're at. But I, I would urge you, those of you who are older, take the initiative here. Take the initiative. Pick up the challenge that God gives to you. Seek out younger women to mentor and to help. Come side by side with those who you can see maybe are struggling just with the pressures of living in the modern world. Invite them for fellowship. Build relationships. Teach them the truth from the scriptures. Because younger women need you. The health of our church requires that you do that. You fulfill that role. Can I give you an example? One of our growth groups, which has members in their late teens and early 20s, have actually asked, they've asked us for opportunities to be mentored and to be discipled by older and wiser members. I wonder, are you up for that? That challenge, that opportunity? I suppose it comes down to it. Are we going to, as a congregation, aim high or are we going to aim low? Are we going to really go for it? Or are we going to play safe? There's a great need for godly grannies and granddads who are reverent servants of God, who are careful with gossip and a critical tongue, who are aware of dangerous addictions, and who can teach what is good and be a godly example. Gosh, there's a great need, isn't there? So that's the older woman. What about the younger woman? In verses 4 and 5. Then... So after older women have done that, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So once the older women have understood um, and uh, obeyed their calling, then they can become trainers, training the younger women within the congregation. Now, raving feminists mock at this idea and uh, aggressive chauvinists attack what God wants. And of course, both these groups in either extreme leave a trail of destruction in our generation. Uh, um, so younger women need training and older women are to train. That's the way God has set it up for our, our good. So the word train there means to shape, to grow, to encourage for life's journey and for life's experiences. There are seven areas covered there. Two out of the seven are referred to uh, younger women who are wives, because not every young woman is a wife. Let's acknowledge that. And one of the seven uh, refers to a young woman being a mum. Not every young woman is a mum. But we bring all seven together uh, in, in one package. And here's the first one, which obviously refers to somebody who's a wife. 
love your husbands. I read many years ago, um, up to the marriage day, it's about the choice of your love. And then from your marriage day on, it's about the love of your choice. The choice of your love, the love of your choice. We can learn to love our spouses and, and younger women. You can learn to love your husband, even though he might be difficult to live with. You can learn to love him. Teach, train the younger women to love their husbands. The world, of course, is driven by the idea of romantic love or lust based on feelings. But of course, if, it's, if any relationship is based on feelings, then it will struggle and probably fail. And that's why people fall out of love. Love is that unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. But practically, what does it mean for a younger woman to be taught to love her husband? Well, in marriage preparation classes, Pauline speaks to these issues to the brides. I speak to the grooms. Pauline speaks to the brides. And the secret here, do you want to hear the secret of this? The secret is summed up in four words. Become more like Jesus. That's basically it. Pray for and with your husband. Be a student of his strength and his weaknesses. Don't nag. Show affection and physical love. Those are sort of things we do in those marriage prep classes. And I think they're very essential if we're going to learn how to love. It's determined love, not based on the worthiness of the man or the husband, but faithfulness to God. Now, in Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Titus 2, wives love your husbands. It's essential that within marriage there are these loving relationships. So older women who are married, seek to love your husband like this, even though they might be difficult to love at times. And encourage younger women to do the same by your life and by your example. Secondly, love your, love your children. Younger women should have as the primary aim to make their homes a place of love and safety. Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. The responsibility to raise them, love them, train them is given to parents and particularly mentioned here is younger women. It's your responsibility. You're to love your children. And young mums with the support of your husbands, you need to see that as your primary spiritual responsibility to shape their lives, to teach them the truth, to mold them under God. That's your calling. Now, mums can often feel overwhelmed, inadequate, and scared. It's a steep learning curve. You arrive back from the hospital with a little bundle in your arms. There's no, there's no book that comes along with the child telling you what to do and how to do it. We, the, the need for practical advice and support is great. There's a steep learning curve. And like Granny Lois and Mummy Eunice, who trained Timothy, then we need to train our children. And teach them the gospel. Teach them how to pray. It's more important than coaching them for sport or academic success. Because you under God to 
a great extent will determine how they will turn out and what they will become. Again, I think in that um, marriage prep class, Pauline talks about lots of grace plus lots of truth plus lots of time equals character. We want to see characters, godly characters built, and it takes grace, truth, and time. Self-control, we're going to move on here. Uh, Self-control, verse 5. Just like older men and younger men, uh, older men, verse 2, younger men, verse 6, younger women need to learn to be self-controlled. It means sensible, sober-minded, to live wisely, um, make good judgments. Crete, of course, was an immoral place. Today's world in which we live in is an immoral place. It's a cesspool of increasing vice. And the temptation is, you know, we just um, take our brain out of gear and we just go with the flow. You know, that's the easy thing to do. But we need to be careful, self-controlled, because we make a mistake now. It could affect the rest of our lives. Self-control, purity, also in verse 5, to be self-controlled and pure, especially sexual purity. We need to model us. We need to encourage us. Older ladies, you need to model it and encourage it. Purity is not admired or promoted in the media. In fact, they do the exact opposite. They promote and encourage impurity. We need older ladies to teach younger ladies the importance of purity. Busy at home is another one which is often misunderstood. Proverbs 31 and other passages show that not all women should be home 100% of the time. If they can and if they want to be, that's good, that's excellent. But here we can't read more than into the text than the text is saying. Kent Hughes is right when he says, the emphasis in this verse is not on the location of a wife's work, but on being productive in the normal occupations of a wife's day. And a young woman's priority is the care for and the smooth function of her home and family. And of course, the more hours worked outside of the home, the harder this becomes. So we need to be wise. And I know many of you have chosen to go part-time or sometimes to give up work at certain times of life so that you can be busy at home. And that's good, and that's right. And sometimes we need older ladies to help us understand that. Kind. We're to be kind. Older ladies need to teach younger ladies to be kind. Helping people just with deed and with word. Here's a question. When, When people think of you, do they say, she's a kind person? Or he's a kind person? Now, I think it's significant this comes after be busy at home because it's possible to be busy at home and not kind because we're so busy at home. We don't have time to help anyone else or we don't have time for others or to serve in meaningful ways. But here, we need to be taught to be kind. And you ladies have already studied that in women's um, impact. Men will be doing it a few weeks' time, subject to their husbands. Oh, this is controversial, isn't it? It's countercultural. It's alien to so many in the world. It's almost laughable to people. And yet here it is very clearly taught and in other places by the word of God. Subject means to line up under, to line up under. Both 
husband and wife are equal before God, but both are different before God. And I think Brian Chapel puts it like this. God intends for each wife to complement her husband so that together they fulfill God's expectations for their lives more than either could do separately. See, God has designed order in the marriage bond, in the home, in the church, and in society. And we should be very careful that we do not, that we do not disregard that. This is what older women are to teach younger women. By lip, by life, we desperately need that. If we want to aim high, if we want to have a gospel-shaped church, it's countercultural, no doubt. Chauvinists and feminists attack this kind of idea, and the political correct brigade have infected our thinking too often. But I urge you, I beg you, for your soul's sake, and for the witness of this church, that 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 we be everything that God intends us to be, that we live out our lives, we do church his way. Whatever age you are, whether you be male or female, young or old, and we should not be taking our cue from a dying world. What has a dying world got to say to us that's of any significance? Let's not be intimidated by an increasingly sinful secular mindset. And let's not neglect the word of Christ or ignore the Holy Spirit's leading. Can I assure you that after last week and this week, I feel like a failure, 100% failure. But you know the hope is that Christ in me forgives and empowers and changes. We'll see that next week, by the way about the power of grace and what the power of grace can do in our lives. So come back and let's pick up the third part of this, this little series in Titus 2 and receive the good news. Jesus in us, grace in us, enabling us to do what we cannot do, enabling us to be what we cannot be. May God bless us as we aim high at being the kind of church that God wants us to be. Lord, thank you for these words, um, hard for us to live out in our own strength and hard for us even to, to hear at times, but desperately needed if we're going to be this gospel-shaped church. We pray for your grace. We pray for your enabling power. We pray for your forgiveness when we've got it wrong, and we pray for your grace so that we might get it right more often. Bless us, help us in all that we seek to do for your glory. Amen.